Law enforcement suicides are at an all-time high right now. One of the causes is poor leadership within the law enforcement profession. Nick, the host of the Roll Call Room podcast, has written a book, Police Mental Barricade, A Survivor's Guide to Poor Law Enforcement Leadership. This book is a raw and powerful look into suicide and how poor leadership decisions contribute to law enforcement suicides. Buy the book now at mentalhealthbarricade.com and stop the stigma. The best revenge is actually not taking any revenge at all. It's not even holding on to any anger at all. It's moving on with your life. It's showing them that life is so much better after they're gone. It's easy to blame those that have wronged us for just about everything that is wrong with our life. If it wasn't for them, I would be happy. If it wasn't for them, I would have more money. If they didn't do this, I would be where I want to be. Most people get so caught up in blaming, they continue to blame and sabotage their own life long after the person is gone from their life. Most people hold on to the blame because it's easier than moving on. Having an excuse or a story of why they aren't where they want to be gets them sympathy from others. The victim role gives them comfort, and it is much easier than taking responsibility and moving on with their life. However, it is not, and will never be, a happy place to stay. Those who take responsibility for their life and are wanting to move on and put the past behind them are much more likely to gain freedom, success, and happiness. Now, this does not mean there aren't horrible people in the world that have done wrong by others. It is not condoning others' behavior. It is taking back the power they have from you when you are the one suffering long after they are gone. Who wins if you keep blaming them? Who wins if you move on? Forget about them and create the best life and success you could ever imagine. Who wins if you move on? Who wins if you forget about them? Who wins if you create your best ever life full of success and abundance? You win! Take back your power. Blame them for what they have done. But don't blame them for what you haven't done. Blame them for what they've done, but bless them for making you stronger, for making you better. Blame them for what they've done, but thank them for showing you exactly what you don't want. You can blame the world for bringing them into your life, but then get grateful for all the lessons it taught you, all the strength it gave you, all the perspective it gave you. Knowing your heart, if they knew better, they would do better. Knowing your heart, you don't need to take on any other negative energy. How good does it feel to take that baggage off your shoulders, to focus on building your future? What a blessing. Let go. Move forward. Never look back. The best revenge it's not taking any revenge. It is simply 
moving on with your life, creating the best version of yourself. Room podcast, the podcast that triggered an entire police department and forced an asshole chief of police to resign. And now, here's your hosts, Lauren, my uncle Mike, and my dad, and best-selling author, Nick. Fuck you, commanders. You're next. Chapter 2. Leadership. I could write a whole book just on this topic. As a matter of fact, my first book, Police Mental Barricade, A Survivor's Guide to Poor Law Enforcement Leadership, speaks extensively about police leadership and the lack of it. I was surprised at how that book has resonated with officers, deputies, and particularly in the military. The lack of leadership or the type of toxic leadership that prevails is across the board and doesn't care what uniform you wear. One of the things crushing morale and killing this profession is leadership. The war on police is not just from the public, but internally. You are more likely to get fucked by your agency than by the public you serve. My wife, who was a deputy at the Alexandria City Virginia Adult Detention Center, would come home after working 12 hours on midnights and say, I'm more afraid of the leadership than the inmates. She would tell me about people in leadership positions making decisions that made no sense, and if officers challenged them, they were punished by being placed in housing units that required extra work and excessive personal protection gear during COVID. My wife was routinely punished for being an independent thinker or for challenging the commander in charge of COVID response. As a former sergeant, this infuriated me, but I was powerless to help. I watched her mental health deteriorate due to lack of sleep, feeling demoralized, and at times, panic attacks on her way to work. When she asked for help, she was put through shit and labeled as crazy. When she put in her notice to leave the department due to mental health issues, The department's response was to tell her that she owed them $20,000 for the cost of the academy and training. I don't tell you this to trash the department, but to give you an example of how good leadership can help prevent a mental health crisis by treating employees with compassion and dignity. COVID exposed a lot of poor leaders and made way for administrative warriors. For the past 20 years in law enforcement, we've been in peacetime, relatively. After Ferguson and the death of George Floyd, law enforcement was thrown into wartime. 
Before I get emails about the term wartime, relax, Karens. I'm referring to rough seas in the profession, a time when you need someone leading from the front and being hit with the same bottles and soaked with the same piss balloons. Someone that understands that just because a complaint comes in doesn't mean that you're the next Officer Chauvet. I watched in my old department as keyboard warriors destroyed morale while advancing their careers. This is always the problem when poor leaders are about to get exposed. They resort to deflecting off their own inability to lead by singling out people who are a threat. I watched as good officers were targeted and careers destroyed because of retaliation. In one instance, an officer came forward while going through a divorce and advised internal investigations of wrongdoing. Granted, this wrongdoing was actionable and definitely required punishment. What it didn't require was for his career to be destroyed and for him to be lied to. He was initially told by the chief of police that his punishment would be 30 days suspended no pay. It was totally warranted, and being a good officer with integrity, he accepted his punishment. Several hours later, he received a phone call from internal investigations saying that he was being terminated. Confused, this officer attempted to get a hold of the chief, but was unsuccessful. Later, he found out that the chief reversed his decision, and instead of facing the officer, he took the coward's way out. I can tell you countless stories of this chief destroying people's careers and being dishonest. It shows that a person's resume and accomplishments doesn't make them a great leader. In our profession, we rely heavily on certificates and certifications, but care little about results. I've taken a shit ton of leadership courses, and the biggest takeaway from all the certificates sitting in a box is get breakfast before class and don't sit in the back. In full transparency, when I was trying to get promoted, I signed up for every leadership course. I spent more time in class being slowly killed by PowerPoint presentations than actually being shown what makes a good leader. Every course was about holding people accountable, documentation, and discipline. Then I got promoted and realized that I couldn't be that kind of leader. I quickly understood that my job was to be a mentor and to guide people. <laughs> this didn't sit well with upper command. On several occasions, I was orally counseled for being too pro-officer or covering for my people. This cost me assignments to specialized units while I watched people that destroyed morale and kissed ass advance. Our profession is better than that, and this is why it is a mess right now. We have dinosaurs leading departments and making policy in the comfort of their office or teleworking while the people with boots on the ground are ignored. Leadership, or lack of it, is why we have protesters destroying entire cities. Stand-down orders while small businesses are firebombed and politicians use it as a backdrop or platform. The word reform has a dirty taste from being crammed down our throats. Our media outlets disparage our integrity and blame line officers for law enforcement policy. 
we have chiefs and sheriffs taking a knee to appease criminals. We have municipalities creating murals for criminals while fallen officers can't even get a plaque for the ultimate sacrifice. We watch as defund the police trends on social media and our leadership stands idly by as pensions and benefits are reduced and then scratch their heads wondering why recruitment is down or why seasoned officers are walking away from the job. The very survival of our profession hinges on immediate change in leadership across the country. Soon, case law allowing us to keep citizens safe will be challenged and with no clear leadership from our profession opposing it. If anything, current leadership will embrace it in an effort to score points with radical groups and secure political backing for funds. This causes a ripple effect that ultimately negatively impacts the line officers. Uses of force will be turned over to civilians and punishment dished out inconsistently and at the sway of the political climate. Poor leaders embrace this way of policing because it allows for plausible deniability with the troops. The, uh, it's not me fucking you, it's the Civilian Complaint Review Board. This also benefits municipalities because it takes liability away from them and shifts it onto the civilian review. Leadership knows this is coming. They know it because they are already placating radical groups with seats at the policy table. Don't get me wrong. Good, law-abiding citizens have every right to demand excellence from law enforcement. What shouldn't happen, and is upon us, is criminals having the authority to make policy. Right now we have criminals saying, I don't like that you keep arresting me for doing drugs, so from now on, doing drug enforcement is a no-no. Never in my life, or when I started in law enforcement, would I believe that shit would become a reality? You have municipalities saying hard narcotics are legal now, and that this is a good thing because we spend money fighting the war on drugs. And the best part is, citizens eat that shit up and say, well, it makes sense. Meanwhile, when they come home and the door is kicked in and shit is stolen, they ask, what are the police doing to prevent this? Then we have a chief or sheriff say publicly, We'll do better. No motherfucker, speak up and tell the public why crime is out of control. Our leadership has caused this climate of hatred towards law enforcement by not embracing change and allowing line officers to be part of the policy decision-making process. They've chased off great future leaders by crushing morale and deterring forward thinking. The ones that stay, like us, are committed and have the belief that everything will get better and that change is on the way. But in reality, our profession is so infiltrated with positional equity leaders and politicians wearing a uniform. I'd like to imagine our future leaders in our profession being vetted by the rank and file. No, not the rank and file doing the hiring for chief, but the rank and file having a seat at the table with officials in charge of making the hiring decisions. A seasoned street cop can smell bullshit from a mile away. I remember in my old agency, when I did a national search for our chief, the city held a town hall meeting at our headquarters. In this room were the entire staff for the police department, roughly 200. 
In walks this guy, small in stature, who looked like time beat the shit out of him hard. He used a very low and soft voice, which I later learned was a tactic of his to keep you engaged because you focused on trying to understand the asshole. He starts talking to the room about how our agency is damaged and people have been scared and that scars need time to heal. Yeah, I know. You already get the picture of where this is going. This guy came from a large department in California where he was shrouded in controversy and ultimately forced out. He addressed it because everyone was thinking about it. Basically, he used the department's dysfunction against them by claiming he was a victim of a political hit job, which was total bullshit. We didn't know that until about a year later. As this guy was talking, I could feel a pit in my stomach growing. Change is hard for cops, and we know that. But this was something different. It was the sense that something was wrong with this guy, and in some way it would be my problem. Unfortunately, I was proven right just three years later. Don't worry, we'll get to that. My point is that if you do this job long enough, developing the skill of detecting bullshit is a given. We know when we are about to get bent over and when to prepare for a shitstorm. I speak about the chief of police position a lot on my podcast, The Roll Call Room Podcast, and get a lot of emails about it. When I was interviewing Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, author of On Killing, Killology, and On Combat, we talked about how the chief position has swung to a political appointment and in actuality, no longer a law enforcement position. Chiefs are more concerned about staying in good favor of the mayor or city manager than doing the job they were sworn in for. Most good chiefs will only last three to four years because of political change or forced out by politicians for doing the right thing in the wrong way politically. The remedy is to abolish the chief of police position across the country. Hear me out. Departments should adapt a sheriff structure where the head of the department is voted in. This person obviously needs law enforcement experience and whatever prettily framed certificate that you wish, but must campaign to the people for the position. This person will be held to a standard of his or her campaign platform. The position is a three-year cycle, and unions have the ability to campaign for change if the person is a disaster. I know what you're thinking. Well, then, you'll get a political hack. That's a risk you'll run. But you're almost guaranteed a political hack with a chief, someone who sways by political pressure and has no core standard. With the sheriff structure, the transparency within the department is greater. The risk of scandal being covered up and then leaked during a campaign tends to keep sheriffs semi-honest. I've seen things within my old department swept under the rug and never spoken about, all in the interest of protecting the chief of police. This strategy isn't foolproof or guaranteed to solve the leadership problem, but it definitely makes departments more accountable and allows for the type of reform we need. 
rather than the reform radicals are calling for. Gee, I am very tired. How tired are you? Very tired. I've been working a lot of overtime and it is making me very tired. You, my friend, need some sleep. No, I will sleep when I'm dead. (laughs) (laughs) What I need is a good cup of freshly roasted gourmet coffee. Freshly roasted gourmet coffee, you say? Yes. Do you know where I could get a cup of freshly roasted gourmet coffee? I do. Where? The Roll Call Room Cafe. The Roll Call Room Cafe? The Roll Call Room Cafe. It's located at 17229 Wayside Drive in Dumfries, Virginia. The Roll Call Room Cafe uses only the finest premium gourmet beans and, unlike national chains, The Roll Call Room Cafe imports, roasts, grinds, and packages their coffee on-site. Sounds delicious, Roland. It is. But Roland, I'm in Nebraska. No problem there. You can order their coffee online at www.rollcallroomcafe.com. Rollcallroomcafe.com? Rollcallroomcafe.com. Chapter 10. A Spouse's Battle with the Blue Line by Nicole Ruggiero Let me start by saying there are two sides to every line. I have had the opportunity to see things from both sides. To live as a law enforcement officer's wife, as well as be a law enforcement officer myself, that in itself is a whole other story, which I'll save for another book. Having a loved one, a partner, dedicate their life to public service, while a true honor, filled heart with pride and a blessing, can also be a dull razor to the skin, except it slowly cuts the person you love up inside and out in the form of mental and physical exhaustion, poor health habits, sleep deprivation, missed holidays, anniversaries and birthdays, fights and long and lonely nights, weekends and sometimes days that are so long you sometimes may not see the one you love for days. That's only the beginning. The first few years are always the worst. That's what we're told from the get-go. It's going to be hard at first, but it will be worth it. You just need to show them you're a company man and make a name for yourself. Some academy instructors will recommend a book to read or suggest therapy or social media groups for you to join for law enforcement officer spouses to band together for support, etc. Some are okay, some are not. More or less, it's a place or group to bitch about loneliness and heartache or read about it, and nine times out of ten you feel worse than you did after you read about it or went. If you're lucky, you feel better, or you'll at least tell your partner you do. Most of the time you don't. I'm just being honest. Forgive me if I laugh out loud. That's a very gray term once you are a law enforcement officer spouse. You will soon learn that being honest with how you feel or what's on your mind will become a point of contention. At least it was for me. 
Each and every time I told Nick how I felt or suggested I did not agree with a choice he made or was about to make, or ones that would be detrimental to his career, our home, our life, or our future and family, it would spiral into a fight or an argument. I was accused of being ungrateful for his sacrifice, and I had no idea what I was talking about. I was given the speech about how he was irreplaceable and how invaluable he was to the department, so they were the ones he trusted. His friends and superiors would always have his back, and I was the one that didn't support him or what he needed to do to get to the next level. There was always a next level, always another hoop to jump through to get to the next step on the career ladder. The worst thing was watching his so-called friends, his brothers and sisters, use and manipulate him to get what they needed, and rarely was it anything that would help or support my husband or our family. But that was a battle that I learned early on that I could never win. I went from us versus the world to me versus them. By them, I mean his agency and the brothers and sisters that would never, ever have his best interest or our families in mind. That's how deep they go when they go all in. This career path is all or nothing. I saw what the mentality did to my husband and our family, and I would not let it do that to me. The moment I was hired as a deputy sheriff, I treated it as it was a job like any other job. I gave it my all for twelve and a half hours each night. The only difference was that I got paid to serve and protect, and when I was off duty, in fact, I was off duty. There would be no answering phones or emails or doing training on my time off. I was fully committed to my job, but I needed to treat it as such. If that wasn't good enough, then, oh well. My family would always have to come first and foremost. The job was secondary. My husband and our children and our family was the reason why I put the vest and gun belt on and threw myself into dangerous situations night after night. I saw my husband give up 15-plus years of his life to his agency, 15-plus years of our life, the best years, in fact, of our life all given up to an agency and its minions that took everything he gave them, and the moment he lost his value and went from a shiny penny to a dirty one, threw him away without even thinking twice about it. I watched people that I watched give birth and babysat each other's children, and weddings and baby showers and birthdays all drop off without even a moment of hesitation. All of a sudden, my husband, who took care of his people while he was a sergeant, people he protected and cared for, slowly stepped back and away from him and us, and one by one became distant reminders of a life that once was. I watched leaders, my own sheriff included in the neighboring agency, care more about using Nick and his skills and his connections for his own agenda, used me as a pawn in his political game. At this point in our life, I was mentally broken down, and I was drowning emotionally. 
My entire life was being torn apart, and all these groups I belonged to and all those friends we discussed earlier left me almost instantly and took ten steps back and away from me, my husband and our family. No one prepares you for that. No book and no psychiatrist can prepare you for the mental breakdown, emotional trauma, or the repercussions of trusting these people that were so-called brothers and sisters of the thin blue line. First it's the academy, then field training, and then two years of probation. By then, the one you love is three-plus years in and is brainwashed to think that the dedication they have and the thought the agency can't function without them is heavily ingrained in their brains, and they're hardwired to need the adrenaline rushes and dumps and they become necessary to survive and thrive, and no amount of discussion can change their heart and mind. They will turn on you slowly. How dare you not support me? And they need me. Or the job is who I am. I'm nothing without it. That is what they don't tell you in the beginning. They fail to tell you that you will raise your children on your own. Make up excuses to friends and family to why you can't get together, and will lose a tremendous amount of money allowing them to buy new toys to feel powerful and accomplished. You will hide that and the expenses from family and friends. You will giggle and laugh and smile and pretend that all is fine. Most of the time, because the one you love is either always angry or irritated from sleep deprivation, court, use of force investigations, or studying for the next process where they live in a constant state of paranoia and hyperventilate, and you know that if you force a visit or trip to the mall, that it will ensue a fight or piss them off so that it ruins your time off, so you learn to not even bother to try. They don't tell you that it will be a miracle if you can get a vacation in or a weekend away. And if you have a career, not as a law enforcement officer, the likelihood of you getting time off together will need to be planned months in advance. Say goodbye to spontaneity. It'll be hard to have quality time because at this point, when your loved one is finally off duty or on vacation, they're so tired from all the emotional baggage they carry that they won't want to do half of the things you plan to do. You'll end up dissatisfied and disappointed and they will be irritated, and it will spark a fight or piss you both off, let alone ruin the time with your family. All of this because you love them. And you will be the dutiful spouse and suck it up because it's what's best for them and your family. You will have to sacrifice just as much as they do to hold together the fragile family and roots you have. You will be whatever the one you love needs you to be to help keep them together, to be the glue. There are times you will want to give up and walk away. There are times that you will feel empty and hanging by your last thread. I urge you to hold on. It won't always be that way. Breathe deep and take it one patient step at a time. At the very center is love and support, 
and your law enforcement officer needs you and needs that. While it's never easy to deal with the ups and downs, some days you swim with the current, other days against it. Some days you almost drown. Those days you need to swim your hardest back to shore and regroup for yourself, your family, and your partner. Most agencies will do a poor job identifying mental burnout or even offer counseling after exposure to significant trauma on duty. You're not a therapist by any means, but you know the one you love and you need to listen to them during those critical times. You need to identify the signs the one you love is struggling with. You are a team. Giving up is easy, but love and compassion is eternal. And you can make or break the one you love. They need you to be the therapist, the lover, the fighter, and cheerleading them on while picking them up when they're down. Noticing the signs that they may not even be aware of, that they're not okay. They need you more than they know, and more than the job itself, although they'll think they're indestructible and indispensable. In all reality, they are completely replaceable. That is something they may not come to reality to even digest that information or really understand until they're at the end of their mental rope. I think I did a fairly good job supporting my husband and ensuring he had a home and a bed to come home to. Meals on the table, arms to hold, shoulder to lean on. At least I tried. I loved him harder as he pushed me away. I refused to give up on him when he so easily gave up on himself. For fifteen years I sat in the sidelines watching the man I married six years before he became a cop slowly let go of himself lose himself in a cause and an agenda that wasn't his, but the agency and its mission. I watched him suffer the wrath of terrible leaders, using him and his experience and expertise to their advantage. I watched them use him until he no longer had anything left to use. All the hours and time unpaid to be on the phone, and all the stress and the anguish when he was passed over for processes that he aced because he wasn't popular. He was the good guy, the loyal one, loyal to the command staff to a fault. I watched them take and take and take until all he had left was his love of the job. And even then, they took that from him on a dreary Monday afternoon. When I became a deputy in the same city, things came full circle for me. I saw things on my side, and I was able to forgive and appreciate the secluded and suspicious, hypervigilant lifestyle I was forced to live for so long. It clicked. It made sense. He wasn't trying to hurt his family. He was protecting them from outsiders. I began to do many of the same things I hated that he did myself because we choose this life of service. There is good and bad out there. 
We need to keep our head on a swivel at all times to protect ourselves and our partners. I read a quote once. Police have become a catch-all for the city's problems. We are expected to be psychologists, social workers, and mediators. And we're only trained for one of those jobs. When I went through the academy, I went through CIT, Crisis Intervention Training. It was eye-opening for me. I saw signs in my husband that he wasn't okay. He had left his agency and came back. Like I said, he was brainwashed to believe that's all he was and could be. About four weeks before my academy graduation day, I was coming home early from firearms practice. I called Nick to let him know I got out early. Little did I know that call was literally life-changing. I could tell he was not okay, and he broke down when I asked him if he was okay, and finally opened up to his trauma and what was going on inside his head. He was ready to end it all. He planned it out. That day I never spoke to anyone about but my husband. I kept it buried in the deepest part of my soul. I wanted to shield him and protect him from the stigma of post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and anxiety, and ADHD, all of which my husband was later diagnosed. That Monday afternoon will forever remain engraved in my mind and in my heart. I drove home and drove beyond reckless to get home to him. There was no way anyone or anything would stop me from getting home to him. I kept him on the phone as I drove using my new emergency vehicle operation skills to my best ability to make it across three counties in record time. When I came in, I hugged him, told him I loved him, and we would get him help. He agreed, and I could see the glimmer of hope return. I almost lost the man I loved and shared my life with to suicide. I can't even think about what would have happened had I not gone home early that day and picked up the phone to call him. Love is that powerful, as is compassion and understanding. It is vital with communication to any relationship, but it's critical as a law enforcement officer's spouse. Your love matters. Listening matters. We need to accept that the ones we love will experience significant trauma and need to talk through it with either therapy or with someone they trust. I was very lucky in my 15 years as a law enforcement officer spouse. My husband would tell me a lot of what was going on, and that helped him decompress. Not all law enforcement officer wives are created equal. Some cannot handle those stories. Some spouses carry the trauma quietly to shield the ones that cannot hear about it. Make no mistake. If you can't listen, you need to help them find an outlet that can and will. That's your choice and responsibility as a law enforcement officer spouse but it is a critical tool that they need to ensure they know they are not alone 
They need a resource to grieve for the situation that they cannot control and the lives they may not always be able to save. Once I completed my field training, I went through many ups and downs within my agency. I had so much stress to the point I almost had a nervous breakdown within the first year. I hid a lot from my husband and our kids. I would leave work to cry in my car in the 7-Eleven parking lot around the corner from my agency before roll call. I literally lost my attention to focus because I lived in a constant state of brain fog and could not focus on anything. Some days I was okay to work. Other days I was a mess. I worked in a jail in confinement, and I worked hard. I loved my team and my partners. My job was to get them home at the end of the tour and to ensure the inmates were safe. Some nights I could barely take care of myself. I was sinking into deep depression and sky-high anxiety. My job was mentally and emotionally draining to the point my body started to fail me. For years after graduation, I struggled so bad I had to see my therapist two to three times a month. And this last year, I was prescribed the maximum dosage of Zoloft because my depression became a trigger for migraines. I had to take anxiety medication to work with me because my anxiety and paranoia was so bad that I stopped functioning as a normal adult. And if I didn't take it before roll call, I would sob in the bathroom in a unit until I could force myself to calm down. I literally burned myself out both physically and mentally. If I was sick and called out, I literally would text and call my team to tell them I was sorry I had to call out. I was terrified that my work family would get hurt if I called out. But why did I have to apologize to anyone? If you're sick, you're sick. That's what sick leave is for. What the hell was wrong with me? I literally broke down at that point and thought to myself, Wow, this is what Nick must have felt when he called out. The fear and hypervigilant dedication was part of the brainwashing. The fear of missing out. The fear of letting your team and supervisors down. It all clicked. It came full circle. But this time when I realized it, I confided in my husband what I was thinking, what I was feeling, and the anxiety and panic I had even driving into work and how truly unhappy I was. I felt like I had lost my identity, who I was, and couldn't do it anymore. I had to medicate to function. My psychiatrist told me if I continued the path I was on, it would destroy me physically and mentally before the year was over. After a discussion about my mental state, Nick and I took a long weekend trip to Magnolia Homes and fell in love with the idea of starting our own business. We always wanted to open a coffee shop, this was always our top retirement goal. That's how the Roll Call Room Cafe was born. 
a beautiful little gourmet coffee shop that saved both of our lives and our family. We found new purpose. We became a necessity during a global pandemic with love and support of the community in which we lived and served. I couldn't be more proud of where we are today and where we're going. My wonderful husband is slowly becoming the man I married 22 years ago. I am becoming the me that I used to be. Our children take pride in our business and our sacrifice. We have found a life after police work. It does exist. We have found better ways to open up and communicate with each other. We have learned to never leave your partner in a fire. We pick each other up when one of us falls behind. We enjoy the moments and the little things we used to take for granted. The moral of this story is there is a life after police work. You just need to open your heart and mind and figure out what that is. Marriage is 50-50. It takes two partners that are committed to each other and willing to take on the wild ride of life together. Some days marriage is 70-30. That's the beauty of finding a partner that completes you. They pick you up and help you walk when you can't run. Do what makes you happy. Not every journey will be the same. Not everyone will have a happy ending. But the point is to try. Communicate, even when it's hard and uncomfortable. That's the best time to talk and listen, and the most important time to connect. Life is short, and time is not on our side. Live each day as if it was your last. Treasure those moments, because life is fragile. Remember, the couples that go through everything that is meant to tear them apart can come out even stronger than they were before. Do you want to help the Roll Call Room podcast keep going? Of course you do. Join Patreon and pledge to the show each month. Tiers start at $5 and you can get some pretty cool shit with it, including swag and access to listen to episode clips early. So put that Starbucks coffee down and help my dad keep the show going. Don't be a fucking Steve. Go to rollcallroom.com to pledge today.